Episode 21 of War in the Book of Mormon, Part 5.2, Preparation. The rest of the episodes in Part 5 are rather short, and each focuses on a specific aspect of Moroni that demonstrates the details of and what changed in the period. Mormon used Moroni as a great example of the power of preparation. He accomplished his missions through thorough preparation. Moroni stands apart as one of the great battlefield preparers in ancient history, maybe ever, but I am a bit prejudiced in favor of Moroni. I do not want to oversell his accomplishments, but I believe he deserves proper respect for what he accomplished and what we can learn from him. Moroni fought an entirely defensive war at the highest levels of strategy and only conducted offensive operations as necessary to protect threatened areas or to regain lost locations. Within the scope of this defensive warfare, he used his control of the ground outside of conflict to the greatest advantage in preparing his future battlefields. In this episode, we discuss the efforts in conflict preparation taken by Moroni before and in between conflicts during his time as Nephi chief captain. It is also possible to see the cycle of innovation and reaction as the Lamanites soon adopted many of Moroni's initially surprising developments. Despite this, the dynamic of initiative is clear as Moroni was able to maintain the initiative despite Lamanite attempts to equal his developments. I want to remind you that initiative in conflict is essentially who dictates the tone, tenor, and tempo of the battle, or of the conflict. I want to inform you that all opinions and suppositions expressed in what follows are entirely mine and in no way reflect the positions, opinions, or policies of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Preparation of Cities Fortifications Fortifications in the early Nephite period in the land of Nephi were mentioned in Episode 7, Part 2.1, and in the Xenophite period fortifications were addressed in Episode 14, Part 3.4. A quick summary is worthwhile. The people of Nephi fortified cities not later than 400 B.C. and maybe as early as 500 B.C. These fortifications were not simply limited to cities, but also included places of inheritance, whatever that means. In the Xenophyte period, the Nephites improved the city walls and they also built towers for observation. It is unclear whether or not gates were a part of the wall construction or if the walls served to canalize the opponent into entryways where they were fought only a few at a time. These references to fortifications and walls are all in the land of Nephi. Because of the fact that all references to walls were in the land of Nephi, it is uncertain whether there were fortifications in the land of Zarahemla in the same time frame, or if there were fortifications prior to Moroni, what type they were. When King Benjamin teaches the people, the record states that, quote, King Benjamin could not teach them all within the walls of the temple, close quote, from Mosiah chapter 2, verse 7. As the first Nephite temple was built after the manner of the temple of Solomon, as we are told in 2 Nephi chapter 5, verse 16, it is possible that the walls of the temple discussed at the time of King Benjamin 
were not primarily defensive, or if they were, they simply protected the temple precincts rather than the entire city. It may be that the residents of the land of Zarahemla relied on the distance from their enemies and the terrain to protect them rather than building walls. This may be a reason why the Nephite army led by Alma II was so concerned about the city of Zarahemla falling to the Lamanites and needed to hurry back, which led to the battle at Sidon Crossing, as discussed in episode 18 or part 4.3 of our podcast series. Regardless of the prior Nephite fortifications in the land of Zarahemla, with Moroni, the nature of fortification becomes clearer and more complex. The first possible indication of the increase in fortifications comes with the defense of the land of Jershon, as the Nephites placed armies round about the land, as we are told in Alma 28.1. It is possible that they were placed in some type of fortified position, given the later emphasis on forts. This is conjecture only and seems somewhat unlikely based on the time Mormon spends later in describing the location and use of forts. Joseph Smith used several different words or phrases that seem to be somewhat synonymous in his translation of the Book of Mormon. Fort, place of retreat, stronghold, secret places. It is uncertain what each of these words meant in Mormon's lexicon. Mormon says that Moroni cut off the Lamanites in their strongholds in Alma 50.11. After describing the elaborate strongholds of the Nephites, it seems that stronghold is a more generic word for Mormon as it was likely that the Lamanites did not have the same multi-layered defenses described in what follows. In general, a fort is a place of security for a military organization, There are lots of movies that address forts in a variety of contexts. Everything from the 1948 John Ford Western Fort Apache, where the fort was just a place where soldiers lived, to the forts encasing the large weapons in 1961's The Guns of Navarone, where the fort was the place where the guns were protected. A place of retreat is a refuge to which forces might return when a battle turns against the force. It might be something as simple as a dirt berm or a narrow defile, something that provides an advantage for the retreating force. A stronghold has usually been a fortification within a fortification. A great literary and cinematic example is the keep at Helm's Deep from J.R.R. Tolkien's The Two Towers. A secret place may be just that, someplace secret from the enemy that allows a force to enjoy protection from knowledge. Tolkien describes just such a place again in the Two Towers when Faramir takes the hobbits, Frodo and Sam, to his secret place in Ithilien. My point here is to note that each of these words can mean a distinct and different sort of place with a different purpose. Or they can just be similar words and phrases used by a person without military training to get at common locations that each grant greater protection than being in an open field. The first use of the word wall as a fortification was used to describe work conducted in 72 BC and is linked with the complex nature of Moroni's defensive efforts. I quote from Alma chapter 48, verse 8, Yea, 
he had been strengthening the armies of the Nephites and erecting small forts or places of resort, throwing up banks of earth round about to enclose his armies, and also building walls of stone to encircle them about, round about their cities and the borders of their lands, yea, all round about the land." This single verse contains numerous points of significance for defensive works. First, there are small forts or places of resort. These seem to be linked directly to military positions, irrespective of the location of civilian population centers. These positions were protected by dirt berms or banks of earth. Second, there is the mention of stone walls. These seem to be around military positions, cities, and serving as operational obstacles to canalize opponents, as Mormon says, round about the land. This is the first mention of materials used in construction of the defensive works. Mormon will become more specific in future references. The third point is the differentiation of material based on importance of protection. This is not a random choice, but Moroni selects the weakest material to protect soldiers and the strongest material to protect the centers of civilization. This is further elaborated, as I quote from the verse that follows in Alma 48, 9. And in their weakest fortifications he did place the greater number of men, and thus he did fortify and strengthen the land which was possessed by the Nephites. Close quote. Over the subsequent years, Moroni improved these defenses. This improvement may have resulted from lessons derived from the battles fought at Ammonihah and Noah, where the Nephites were forced to defend their dirt bank defenses. The Battle of Noah and the specific issues of the defenses there are explained in Part 6.1 of this podcast series. The improvements discussed added strength height, and tactical advantage, as Mormon described them, and I quote from Alma chapter 50, verses 1 to 6, And now it came to pass that Moroni did not stop making preparations for war, or to defend his people against the Lamanites, for he caused that his armies should commence in the commencement of the twentieth year of the reign of the judges, that they should commence in digging up heaps of earth round about all the cities, throughout all the land which was possessed by the Nephites. And upon the top of these ridges of earth he caused that there should be timbers, yea, works of timbers, built up to the height of a man, round about the cities. And he caused that upon those works of timbers there should be a frame of pickets built upon the timbers round about, and they were strong and high. And he caused towers to be erected that overlooked those works of pickets, and he caused places of security to be built upon those towers, that the stones and the arrows of the Lamanites could not hurt them. And they were prepared that they could cast stones from the top thereof, according to their pleasure and their strength, and slay him who should attempt to approach near the walls of the city. Thus Moroni did prepare strongholds against the coming of their enemies, round about every city in all the land, quote. The works of timbers might have been a form of casement wall described in episode 4 or part 1.3 of our podcast series. In this imagining, the timbers were fashioned as a box and filled with earth. This would provide a solid foundation for the placement of the towers described to overlook the pickets. 
in this description, we can see an extension of the personal shields. Moroni was providing permanent shielding for the soldiers on the walls. He also provided them with a physical position of advantage for hurled objects. The use of the word stones probably means objects larger than sling stones. Even if they are sling stones, this is the first example of an arsenal, a place for the storage of weapons in the Book of Mormon record, with the possible exception of the Lamanite reference to a place of arms given in Alma 47, verse 5. We will address this location and the possible meanings of it in a later episode. The fortification begun in 72 BC did not end then and probably was a continual process for many years to come. Mormon explained the events as if they happened quickly, but yet he later stated that Tiancum used prisoners in about 64 BC to complete the previously described timber casement wall around the city of Bountiful in Alma 53.4. In the same effort around Bountiful comes an additional detail that is also seen at the city of Noah, a protective ditch surrounding the wall. The work of fortification was an ongoing process for most of a decade, and improvements to existing fortifications occurred throughout the wars of this period. Moroni used fortifications to create the line described in Alma 50 verse 11, which I will read in just a bit. It is highly unlikely that Moroni created a great wall of Zarahemla, but rather more likely that he built forts and places of resort for his soldiers that were interlinked through trails with the other fortified cities to create a virtual wall of defense between the two peoples. Clearing Potential Threats Whether or not Moroni was a true innovator is a point that I believe is open for debate What seems to be very clear in the record is that he was a great strategic thinker, planner, and preparer. His fortifications and armor were conducted prior to the intense need for such things. His effort to create a natural frontier followed the previous efforts of city and area fortification, but shows Moroni to go beyond just the thinking of a warrior and into the realm of a professional soldier. Moroni understood that the geographical situation the Nephites were in was not sufficient to defend, given his limited resources. He needed to gain a terrain advantage, which he created through his fortifications, and he needed to deny a similar advantage to his opponent. This he did by his preemptive attacks into the East Wilderness. The East Wilderness was a location of long-term problems for the Nephites, as indicated by Mormon, as he gives his description of Nephite and Lamanite geography, and I quote from Alma chapter 22, verses 28 and 29. Now, the more idle part of the Lamanites lived in the wilderness and dwelt in tents, and they were spread through the wilderness on the west in the land of Nephi, yea, and also on the west of the land of Zarahemla in the borders by the seashore, and on the west in the land of Nephi, in the place of their father's first inheritance, and thus bordering along by the seashore. And also there were many Lamanites on the east by the seashore, whither the Nephites had driven them, and thus the Nephites were nearly surrounded by the Lamanites. Nevertheless, the Nephites had taken possession of all the northern parts of the land bordering on the wilderness, 
at the head of the river Sidon from the east to the west, round about on the wilderness side on the north, even until they came to the land which they called Bountiful. Close quote. Mormon describes the Nephites as being surrounded, or nearly so. These two verses are given during Mormon's retelling of the missions of the sons of Mosiah too, and therefore are contemporary or within a generation of Moroni's service. Later, Mormon gives greater reasons for threats from the East Wilderness. This is where the descendants of the priests of Noah fled, as we are told in Alma 25.8, and this was also in the same general area where the Zoramites had first entered into their correspondence with the Lamanites, as explained in Alma 31.4 and 35.11. All of these are reasons for concern when viewing this from Moroni's perspective, as he considered his responsibilities and how to best defend his people. When viewed from a perspective of hindsight, this was clearly a region for concern, as the Lamanites used this as their primary avenue of approach in their Amalekiahite war with the Nephites, as explained in Alma 51.25. Moroni did not know that Amalekiah would come against him in the east, but he did recognize the difficulty of the geography, as we are told in, and I quote from, Alma chapter 50, verses 7 to 11. And it came to pass that Moroni caused that his army should go forth into the wilderness, yea, and they went forth and drove all the Lamanites who were in the east wilderness into their own lands, which were south of the land of Zarahemla. And the land of Nephi did run in a straight course from the east sea to the west. And it came to pass that when Moroni had driven all the Lamanites out of the east wilderness, which was north of the lands of their own possessions, he caused that the inhabitants who were in the land of Zarahemla and in the land round about should go forth into the east wilderness, even to the borders by the seashore, and possess the land. And he also placed armies on the south in the borders of their possessions and caused them to erect fortifications that they might secure their armies and their people from the hands of their enemies. And thus he cut off all the strongholds of the Lamanites in the east wilderness, yea, and also on the west, fortifying the line between the Nephites and the Lamanites, between the land of Zarahemla and the land of Nephi, from the west sea running by the head of the river Sidon, the Nephites possessing all the land northward, yea, even all the land which was northward of the land bountiful according to their pleasure. Close quote. Moroni, in a time of peace, conducted an offensive operation to clear terrain and create a naturally defensible boundary. This was Moroni's only offensive campaign, but Mormon clearly perceived this offensive action to have a higher defensive purpose. Not only did he drive the Lamanites out of the land and into the land of Nephi, but he also cleared land, stationed military forces, erected fortifications, built cities, settled people, and probably constructed roads. The impact of the tremendous battle of the wilderness can be seen throughout all of these efforts. It is improbable that the Nephites would have invested so much effort displaced so many of their own people, and disrupted so much of their own commerce if there was not a collective sense of fear and vulnerability. 
even a great leader would have failed to mobilize a people to conduct the work that Mormon described absent such collective concern. Logistics and Support Way back in Episode 3, Part 1.2, we began a discussion on complexity. In that discussion, logistics was one of the areas of complexity identified. The Nephite army of Moroni's era was more complex in its defensive preparations, both for the soldier and for the city. The army was smaller, as the battles involved armies of thousands and not tens of thousands. The impact of Helaman's 2,000 soldiers was enough to explain that the armies were not radically larger. The logistics and support of the armies of the Nephites seemed to be based on a levy system. Villages or cities seemed to have been required to provide a certain number of soldiers or supplies. The letters between Pahoran and Moroni spoke about the means of levies, as well as the epistle from Helaman to Moroni, and I quote from one of those letters, as recorded in Alma 57, verse 6, And it came to pass that in the commencement of the twenty and ninth year we received a supply of provisions, and also an addition to our army, from the land of Zarahemla, and from the land round about, to the number of six thousand men, besides sixty of the sons of the Ammonites, who had come to join their brethren, my little band of two thousand. And now, behold, we were strong, yea, and we had also plenty of provisions brought unto us. This verse gives the possibility that the beginning of a new year may have been a trigger for a new levy to be raised, In an earlier passage, Helaman explains that the people of Ammon were sending provisions to support the Nephite armies as well. Provisions were carried by soldiers from the communities to the armies. It is also indicated that the men sometimes brought families with them to the areas where they fought, or these families may only have been the families of those from the local area, as I quote from Alma 56 verses 27 and 28. And now it came to pass, in the second month of this year, there was brought unto us many provisions from the fathers of those my two thousand sons. And also there were sent two thousand men unto us from the land of Zarahemla. And thus we were prepared with ten thousand men and provisions for them, and also for their wives and their children. Close quote. Helaman sent requests for support directly to the chief magistrate and not to the chief captain. That may be because he was supported from a designated geographic area, in his case Zarahemla, and therefore the support relationship was already established and did not need to go through another military commander, as explained in Alma 58 verses 3 and 4, from which I now quote, Yea, And it became expedient that we should employ our men to the maintaining those parts of the land which we had regained of our possessions. Therefore it became expedient that we should wait, that we might receive more strength from the land of Zarahemla, and also a new supply of provisions. And it came to pass that I thus did send an embassy to the governor of our land to acquaint him concerning the affairs of our people." And it came to pass that we did wait to receive provisions and strength from the land of Zarahemla. 
the pre-established support structure seemed to be supported by Moroni's actions as he sent men home to take care of the harvest and their families, as related in Alma 53, verse 7, quote, And it came to pass that he did no more attempt a battle with the Lamanites in that year, but he did employ his men in preparing for war, yea, and in making fortifications to guard against the Lamanites yea, and also delivering their women and their children from famine and affliction, and providing food for their armies." Helaman provided the additional point that during the war it became necessary to move supplies under guard, as detailed in Alma chapter 58, verses 7 and 8. Quote, and it came to pass that we did wait in these difficult circumstances for the space of many months, even until we were about to perish for the want of food. But it came to pass that we did receive food, which was guarded to us by an army of two thousand men to our assistance. And this is all the assistance which we did receive to defend ourselves and our country from falling into the hands of our enemies, yea, to contend with an enemy which was innumerable." Close quote. The Nephites and the Lamanites also gained provisions and resources through the capturing of supplies as indicated by Moroni's actions. I quote from Alma 62:15, and it came to pass that as they were marching towards the land, they took a large body of men of the Lamanites and slew many of them and took their provisions and their weapons of war. Close quote. The Nephites were an agrarian people and though there is evidence of trade networks, they moved their supplies by manpower from one area to the other and seemed to support their armies in the field through drafts or levies of food that came on a relatively regular basis, keyed to the beginning of a new year. Reinforcement The previous section had a great deal of information about levies of men and supplies. The armies of the Nephites were reinforced through regular or emergency drafts of able-bodied men, or at least this is how it seems to have been. As previously mentioned, not all men were fighting, even among the army. Moroni sent men home to harvest food during the war, and this was probably not the only instance of this. The image of Moroni as the ideal selfless servant of the state was probably not true of all Nephite men. It is safe to assume that the Nephites murmured about digging trenches and building casement walls. It is also probable that after the slaughter in the tremendous battle of the wilderness, that there were men who did not want to participate in war. Mormon gives a hint of this concern in Alma 50 verse 12, quote, Thus Moroni, with his armies, which did increase daily because of the assurance of protection which his works did bring forth unto them, did seek to cut off the strength and the power of the Lamanites from off the lands of their possessions, that they should have no power upon the lands of their possessions. Close quote. Just as all men are not selfless patriots today, it is likely that not all men were so in Moroni's time. Men flocked to Moroni's armies because his adaptations of the earlier lessons gave them the feeling of safety and security and created, in their minds, the likelihood that they might survive. It is useful to point out that the activities of Moroni were elective. No one was forcing the Nephites to conduct all of this labor. This was being done by choice. The previous battles were fought and the armies were raised in crisis. 
Moroni was now raising an army for semi-permanent duty. They were working. They were doing manual labor in construction and clearing. The campaign against the East Wilderness that this verse referred to was also an elective campaign, even though it might be possible to insinuate that the Nephites might lack courage, it must be viewed here that many were simply thinking of the benefits versus the risks of that ongoing campaign. The Nephite levies were able to maintain a significant ability to reinforce their armies. Nearly seven years into the war, the government provided 12,000 reinforcements to the armies after the king men were destroyed. This is a statement on either a robust economy or on the desperation of the time. Either the Nephites maintained the ability to field such large numbers of able-bodied men after so many years of fighting and losses, or they were increasing the scope of the draft and bringing in people otherwise ineligible. Mormon does not provide any of the negative details, and therefore it is probable, and I suppose, that the Nephites simply had that many men uncommitted and held back only because of the rebellion of the kingmen. Regardless of the speculation, the Nephites provided reinforcements for the western theater of the war, totaling 18,000 soldiers over a period of six years. That is in addition to the initial force, which was at least 6,000. Again, this is only for the Western Theater, and the numbers can at least be doubled for the total force. This means the Nephites provided something like 300% reinforcements over the course of the war. So what? I regularly ask my students, so what, after they give me an answer. The point is to get at what matters to the students and what they believe should matter to the listener. I do this for the battle analyses, but I also want to do these same so what answers for these episodes as well. So what? We should prepare. Obviously. What is Mormon showing us about the preparations that we need to do through the life and career of Moroni? 1. We should fortify ourselves, our homes, our communities. We need to place the greatest effort around those who are most likely to struggle. Fortifications are not places to hide, but protected places from which we should be able to act against the adversary. They should be places of resort where we can store and build reserves of strength and resource so that we can go out and engage Satan and his ideas. 2. We need to remove dangerous areas before they become dangerous and threatening. We need to delete files, shortcuts, etc. from our computers of things that are temptations to sin. We need to throw away and clean out those things that remind us of our sins and encourage us to return to sin. 3. Resources are critical for success. Who provides us the resources that are needed to do our work? Jesus referred to himself as the bread of life. Do we take daily from the bread of life? How does this bread get brought into our life? The people of Ammon carried provisions to the Nephite armies. Participation in reading scriptures, attending church, ministering to family, friends, and those assigned to us are all ways to actively bring in the bread of life. 
I want to point out that getting resources is not a passive effort. We don't wait for resources to be brought to us. Even in the stories with Helaman, and they were forced to wait. They were forced to wait because they were defending a position. They were active in their waiting. We should also be active in our waiting and should also be actively pursuing gaining those resources. Four, we need to invite and welcome reinforcements. One can never have too many fighters. The story of Gideon from the Old Testament aside, that story, if you remember, was done under God's direction, meaning they decreased the size of the army because God told them to, not because that is generally the way one should behave. If left up to ourselves, we always want more reinforcements. The next episode explores the politics of Nephite war and how these politics change with the rise of Amalickiah and the expression of Nephite beliefs in the raising of the title of liberty. I invite you to reach out and ask questions and send comments to me on Facebook at War in the Book of Mormon or at War in the Book of Mormon at gmail.com. All one word, War in the Book of Mormon at gmail.com. Until next time.